I want to talk to you guys about radical trust. Radical trust. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 39. Romans chapter 8. Um, what I'm learning is, is that it's all about trust when it comes to serving God. And how many of you know it's easy to have trust when everything's going right? But when the bottom falls out, see, that's when we are tested. That's when we are known for who we are. The Bible says that if your strength fails in adversity, then your strength was not in Proverbs. And, and so, so I want to kind of help you. I don't want to cast burdens on you or guilt on you because I don't believe grace does that. I believe grace empowers us to be the people that God's called us to be. It's not an excuse for sin, but it empowers us to become holy and to become the people that God's called us to be. And so I want you to help, help you to see that God is in every single thing in your life and he's not left you. Uh, we just have to have eyes that see God. We've got to have eyes that can apprehend God. Adam and Eve uh, was in the garden, right? And they were naked. Uh, but they didn't know they were naked. In other words, they were able to walk in complete vulnerability with God and not be ashamed. They were able to be who they were in relationship with God with no shame. But the Bible says something odd that when they eat of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, what happens? Their eyes are opened, it says. So before, it was like they couldn't see, but yet they could see the way God could see. See, they had God's perspective before the fall. In other words, they could see things the way God could see things. And they saw themselves the way God saw them. So there was no shame because all they had was the opinion of God about who they were. So as they had the relationship with God unfractured and they were walking not as imperfect people but in innocence, as they were walking in innocence, they could apprehend who they were based on God. As soon as they begin to fall into deception and begin to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they then suddenly promoted themselves to be judges. They promoted themselves to say, we can judge who we are and we can judge the earth better than God. So they begin to see themselves how they would judge themselves and suddenly they were naked. And God tells them, who told you you were naked? See, Satan's voice to you will always be to point out your inadequacies. It'll always be to get you to look less of yourself than what God has said of you. And Satan is jealous of you. He's upset with you. Why? Because God's given you the dominion and the power to walk with God in relationship on the earth and to rule and reign with him in righteousness. And Satan doesn't like it. Why? Because God formed you out of dirt. You're a dirt man, a dirt woman. Look to your neighbor and just tell them, look them right in the eyes and say, you're a dirt man. You're a dirt lady. But God is showing us something of his nature. God is showing us that he loves dirt. 
that he doesn't judge the lowest of things is that he's looking for a people that will humble themselves under his mighty hand and begin to walk in fellowship with him that they wouldn't identify as dirt but they would they would identify with God as his children who are children of the most high God and king that this is what God is doing in the earth. But we've got to have eyes to see it. So when Adam's eyes opened up, he's sewing together fig leaves, making some kind of fig leaf bikini or something. And what did that look like? That was probably weird. And he's sewing together stuff and trying to figure out how in the world can I cover up this nakedness? So when Adam's eyes opened up, he lost the ability to see God in all things. Or before that, he interpreted everything through relationship with God and what God, what God saw. So guess what happens when Jesus comes into the earth and steps into ministry as a man? He places himself in the hands of John. He says, baptize me, John. John says, man, I can't even tie your shoelace, man. How in the world am I going to baptize you? He says, baptize me. God, Jesus says, I'm placing myself in the hands of sinful men where that they could even dunk me and hold me over, hold me under representing death. And even that can't stop what God's going to do in my life. And as soon as that baptism happened, what happens? The heavens open up. Come on now. <laughs> the heavens open up. And the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends upon Jesus. In other words, no longer would we not be able to see what God was doing and to know if there's a connection between heaven and earth. But now, the heavens opened up when we are in Christ and we're sons and daughters of Jesus and of God. And so when we are walking with God, everywhere we go, there's an open heaven. So Jesus has now opened the eyes of humanity to say God has permeated every sphere of life imaginable. And when we look out into the world, what is Satan going to do? He's going to try to get you to think God's not there. This is his whole M.O. is to twist everything and say, look how bad it is. God's not there. Look how bad it is. God cannot be in this. But Jesus' entire life, do you notice his life as he's walking through? He's not just manipulating circumstances to his advantage. And that's what some of us are serving God for. We're using God to try to have a better life. Or using God to try to have a smoother course. Or using God to try to, as some other ends, as if he is not the end in and of himself. That God is the end in and of himself. And that if you're serving God so that you can get something else, then you're no longer serving God. You've just set up an idol that you're trying to worship to fulfill some void in your heart. And that idol will eventually let you down and you will blame God and you will leave the king that Jesus it's all about Jesus Jesus is the he is the end 
And so as Jesus is walking on the earth, he lets some unimaginable things happen to him. And he's never frantic or anxious. Have you ever seen Jesus just like, ah, what are we going to do, God? It's like the disciples are in his presence and they're always anxious or always got a better idea than God. You ever been there? God, I got this. But Jesus walks in such a way that the most unspeakable evils happen to him and he's still like, God still got this. God is still working this out together for my good and his glory. And so Paul brings us into this reality, not amidst perfectness or not not amidst everything going right, but Paul brings us into this reality in Romans chapter 8, amidst severe persecution and imprisonment and and all other things. But but, but look at Paul's word. He's he's bringing us into this reality of the God-permeated life, the open heaven, the, the fact that God will always be working for us even when we don't see him working. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you see what's going on here? God is taking us from the call, the moment we heard the gospel and responded, the moment we responded and stepped into sanctification or the process of becoming more like Jesus. He takes us all the way to glorification when our bodies rise from the dead in a new glorious body that won't be sinning and won't be subject to illness and weakness and sickness and God's going to dry every tear. And notice that God is involved in every single part of that process. Uh, whom he predestined, he called. And those who he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. And what Paul is trying to bring us into the reality of is that everything that is happening in your life right now is working together for God's good and his glory and your joy. That that's what is going on. And I don't care how bad it looks, this is the reality Paul's bringing us into. Verse 31, then what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if we've got God in on this process of our life, then whatever happens to us, God has got an answer for every evil that would come our way. So if we're walking with God in the process, then who in the world can be against us or stop the plans of God that he has for our life? I want to answer that question for you. Nobody can stop the plans of God for your life. The only person that can stop the plans of God for your life is when you let somebody else think they stop the plans of God for your life and then you hit the ejector seat and you stop the plans of God for your life. Verse 32. Look at the heart of God. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. 
how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? God is getting our eyes off our stuff and off our mess and whatever else. And He's saying, I didn't even withhold my perfect, beautiful Son from you. How will I not give you every single thing you need on your journey to fulfill the divine destiny and calling on your life? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding from us. Do you see how involved God is in the processes of your life? Okay. He is the part of the picking. He's part of the saving. He's part of the glorifying. And now he's part of giving his son to you. It's like, it's like displaying the heart of God and how generous he is. And then he's saying, now who's going to blame you if you're good with me? Why would you worry about what anybody else says about you? And not only that, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. You got Jesus praying for you. I submit to you, does your life look like Jesus is praying for you? Why? Because the devil's blinded you because of some circumstance or some woman or some guy or some deal and he's got you so blind that you feel so trapped that you can't see God in anything. God's saying, would you just shake that mess off and realize that I've got every single thing covered that you are needing in your life? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So what's Paul saying is don't let the distress, persecution, famine, and other things inform you that God's not involved and that he's not got a plan for your life and that he's not working all things together for the good. He said if you'd get your eyes off of those things and get your eyes on what God is doing, realize you're walking under an open heaven and begin to receive the blessings of God, you'll start to see God even in the prison like the Apostle Paul and you might even start a praise break showing up in the middle of a prison and seeing people get saved. That it's not that God's not there, it's that we don't have eyes to see him at times. That in all these things we are more than conquerors. Now how can you be more than a conqueror? That seems odd. I think it kind of looks like this. I get a check but then I hand it to my wife. And she cashes the check, right? The idea is, is that you are getting something you didn't earn or pay for. A conqueror has earned and defeated and conquered and, and earned what he has. He's taken it by his own hand. 
So what Jesus has done is taken all the keys to death and to hell and he's taken all the kingdom and the earth back for God and he's taken all that back based on his own work. You didn't do anything to, to do that. But what he's done is willingly turns to us as his people and then says, here you go. So how do you become more than conquerors? You're getting something that you didn't earn or work for, but it's been handed to you to do with whatever you see fit. See, God is calling us into the reality that we are more than conquerors, that we have the power of Christ by the grace of God. Verse 38, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, get this, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So suddenly, not even the demonic realm can move God's heart for you. And people say all the time, well, that old devil, he got after me. No, he didn't. You let him get after you. Oh, the demonic realm is so oppressive. No, they're not. They can't move God's heart nor the connection that you have with Him. Can they attack? Sure they can attack. Sure they can stir stuff up. But the Bible tells us that because stuff's going on doesn't mean I'm separated from God. It means that I have the opportunity to display a supernatural connection, a supernatural walk with God in the midst of suffering that would get the world's attention and say, wow, what in the world is going on there? There's something authentic happening in their life because why? in the world could they praise when that's going on in their life? See, this is Jesus' life in essence. It's always against the odds. To show radical trust in God always works out. Jesus' life is the grand display that he's calling us into the heart of the Father so that we can display that a relationship with God is enough to overcome anything. Okay? So Jesus' life, he brings the kingdom of God and inaugurates it into the world. He inaugurates the kingdom of God by his life and death and resurrection and his ascension and his soon coming. He's, he's, he's put the kingdom of God in place. And he's now, right now, at the right hand of God, got all enemies under his feet, spiritual and otherwise, are all under his feet. And slowly by slowly, by the advancement of the gospel, he is winning more people and more people and more people to himself, expanding his kingdom. Jesus Christ has overcome the world without firing one shot or doing one violent act. Matter of fact, he is apprehended and is murdered. And you notice everybody else in that process is like tripping. His disciples are like, he gets arrested, they're like, ah! Everybody's running and fleeing and everybody's trying to get Jesus off the cross and Jesus is spending his entire life in ministry to stay on it. This is what happens. Satan shows up in the wilderness. Hey, see those stones? I bet you're hungry. It's been 40 days since you ate. Why don't you use those stones? Make those stones into bread. Jesus says, no, 
no, no, no. Men don't live by bread alone, but by the words that come out of the mouth of God. Uh, he, takes, he takes the devil to task on all these things. And everything that Adam failed in, Jesus Christ conquers and walks in victory in. It's like Jesus is saying, no, I don't have to manipulate the world for my comfort because I've got a little lack in my life right now. All I've got to do is stay faithful to God and be in relationship with him. And the one that closed the lilies of the valleys, the one that feeds the sparrows and knows when they fall to the ground is my advocate. And if I keep my relationship right, all these other things around me will be added unto me. See, Jesus is showing us that there's a different way to just be in right relationship with God and to hear his voice and to walk with him. This man born in a small town, man from Nazareth, a nowhere town, born to an unwed teenager, had a poor family because the Bible says that when they offered, when they went into Jerusalem to offer, all they had was a pigeon. If you were wealthy, you bought a lamb. They could only afford a pigeon. The 30-year-old construction worker, not a theologian, not a conqueror, not a politician, yet he's bringing the kingdom of God to earth without any violence. How do you do that? What's Jesus saying is, is that as long as your heart is right with God, everything else works itself out. And it doesn't matter what the devil tries to do to come in and hinder you and mess you up. As long as your heart is right with the Lord, He works everything out. Jesus is saying there's a state of union and being that overshadows what you know or what you can do. When we walk in radical trust of relationship with God, we overcome every single circumstance. And Jesus is showing us that there's a divine connection of walking in the sovereign flow of the love of God. And that's where Jesus was always plugged into. He's always plugged into the Father's heart. He's always plugged into God's heart. And people always are trying to get Jesus to freak out. Always get him out of this radical trust and this sovereign flow of the love of God flowing through his life. Peter even pulls him aside. The guy that, he, that just... Stanzas earlier, he says, you're, you're going to be the, the, the rock in which I build the church on, your confession. And, and this confession says, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And then just a few verses down, he's already trying to tell Jesus to not go die and to quit telling everybody he's going to die on a cross. He pulls Jesus aside and says, hey, man, you're really hurting our message. Would you please quit telling people you're going to die? We're trying to build a following here. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you don't know the things of God. In other words, you think that how I manipulate circumstances will determine my connection with the Father. But what you don't realize is it doesn't matter what they do to me. They can't shake the relationship and the oneness that I have with God. He's always resting in that connection that he has with God. And this is 
where God wants to be. Do you know where God wants to be? God wants to be in your life. He wants to be in you in every area of your life, just like Jesus. He wants to be with you, near you, to know you. This is what God is desiring. He's desiring relationship with you. That more than power, more than conquering the earth, do you know that God could make another earth like that if he really wanted to just have something to rule over? No, he's got this affinity for you and I, for these just these people formed from dirt that are going to go back to dirt. And he's got this affinity for them. And, and there's something about God that loves to dwell in earthen vessels. It's like when God, uh, when Moses is building the tabernacle, where's God's place? Oh, a two foot by two foot box. Right? Everybody say, quit putting God in a box. Well, God likes the box, obviously. <laughs> What's God saying? I don't want to be everywhere else. I want to be inside of you. Because Jesus is that ark come manifest. And when the curtain is torn between the ark of God and the people of God, suddenly we all become arks and we're bearing the presence and the glory and the miracles of God on the inside of us. Every single one of you that are a Christian are carrying the glory of God on the inside of you. And I'm going to preach it till you start believing it and start laying hands on people and start seeing things happen in your life. This tells us something about God, that God doesn't want to be on the outside manipulating everything else. He wants to be on the inside making us into the character and having a, a people conform to the image of God that could display to the world the glory of the Son. So before, you know, many times I think we, we, we treat our relationship with God like he's our guard dog. Sick them, God. They're coming against me. Sick them. And God's like, dude. I'd rather be on the inside of you and show supernatural love, patience, joy, kindness, peace, and long-suffering, self-control. I'd rather be on the inside of you than I had twist somebody's arm out here. They're not your problem. You're your problem. See, God shows up as a loving dad. A loving dad. This is where he wants to show himself. I'm closing with this. Mark chapter 4. The disciples are in a storm. And they're getting all kind of shook up, man. They're in a storm. And they're freaked out. And the Bible says that, that there's little boats. These aren't big, gigantic boats. And these are fishermen. They've spent their life on the water. They understand what a bad storm is. So for these fishermen to be freaking out, this is a supernatural storm. This is a storm that's got them very shook that they are going through in their life. And they're thinking, man, what in the world's going on? This storm, I'm being shook up. What's going on? Everything in my life seems to be going upside down. And, and, and where is God? There's no way God can be here. Let's try to find where God is. And they look and Jesus is in the boat. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's asleep. What? <laughs> Jesus, don't you know I'm really scared and freaked out right now? And Jesus turns to him with all his kindness and gentleness and says, Oh, ye of little faith. 
It's like when you're going through a storm, you don't want to hear a rebuke. Come on, you want something? Oh, come here, be, be mama to me, you know, for a second. Just lay your head on it. Oh, it's going to be okay. And, and, and that's okay. Sometimes we need that. But, but Jesus rebukes them for freaking out during a storm. Why does he rebuke them? Because he's saying, you don't know that God has permeated every area of life. You don't know that God is the God of the storm. You think God's limited to just me here asleep in a boat with you? When the Father is drawing you into relationship just as much as me? In other words, it's easy to have faith in Jesus, but it's hard to have Jesus' faith. And Jesus isn't calling you to just have faith in Him. He's calling you to have the same faith He had. Come on now. See, we've watered this thing so far down that we, we, we don't even have expectations anymore. Church, or just go to church, get it all, come on, let's get out of here. Man, I'm wanting to see revival break out. I'm wanting to see miracles. I'm wanting to see people get healed, man. I'm wanting to see this thing, not for the sake of, not for that being an end of an, in and of itself. I want to see God's presence showed up. And the Bible tells me that when the kingdom of God shows up, these things happen. Why aren't we seeing them? Maybe the kingdom of God's not showing up. Maybe we haven't surrendered. Maybe we're still holding on to the wheel and saying, Jesus, come get me out of this storm. And he's saying, well, how long do I got to be with you? Before you can rest in the storm. How long do I got to be with you where the storm doesn't keep knocking you out of the saddle every time? And you're on your sixth or seventh salvation. Come on now. Jesus said, how long is it going to take to learn that when you've got control of your life, it does not go well? It doesn't go well. Uh, matter of fact, look at your life. <laughs> it doesn't go well when you're in control. And the only high points are when you said, okay, Jesus, have my life. All right, I'm over it. I'm over it. I give up. I give up. And I get it, man. I'm hard-headed. I get it. I'm the same kind of way. But there comes a time where we got to quit saying, okay, I'm hard-headed and you know me. But there comes a time where we just got to say, all right, Jesus, I'm taking you at your word. And unless the Holy Spirit comes in me and fills me to the very bottom of my feet, to the top of my head, I'm going to be exactly the same. And I just do not want to be that way anymore. It's a desperate cry unto God. Desperate cry. Where they could sleep during a storm. God is calling us to have His faith. To see things the way He sees them. Not problem, pointer outers. we got enough of those in the church. My goodness. We need some solution, an anointed solution people. Say, wow, that sure looks like a dark place. Hmm. Maybe I should show up considering i got the presence of God in me. 
Maybe God will give me a burden to change some sphere of darkness and bring light. See, Jesus is calling us into this God-permeated world. Now we need our eyes opened where we can see it. We need our eyes opened where we can see it. My daughter was in the back of the, of the, in her car seat and I was driving. And my wife and I will put the rearview mirror on her. And we have talks through the rearview mirror. And I tell people, I, I put my daughter in the rearview mirror where even when I'm looking behind me, I'm still seeing my future. See, there's a reason why the rearview mirror is smaller than the front windshield of your truck. Imagine if those things were reversed. You'd be like. But that's how some of us are living our life. That's why we look so awkward and unhealthy. It's because we're still looking in the rearview mirror. God's saying like the Apostle Paul, press forward. Let go of the past things. And press forward. So I'm looking back there talking with her and I said, I love you. She said, I love you too. I said, how do I know you love me? Most profound thing. Four-year-old. She says, just believe me and you'll see. A theologian couldn't come up with that answer. And that's what God's saying to us. God never answers the why. You notice that? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? God never, even with Job, he just starts asking Job questions. Where were you when I stretched out the earth and laid its foundations and told the sea to go that far and no further? Where were you when I created all of creation? And Job is like, oh, oh. See, God isn't trying to answer your whys, and you need to quit asking them. What he's calling you into is radical trust that says, God, you're going to work all things together for my good. And I don't get it. I don't know why that happened over there or why this happened over here or why that. But God, I'm stepping into this God-permeated world because there's an open heaven in front of me and around me. And everywhere I go, the presence of God is. And so God, teach me to see things the way that you see them. God's calling you. He's calling you. And he's saying, believe me and then you'll see. Believe me and then you'll see. And one day it's all going to make sense. But until then, he's called us into trust. He's called us into faith. He's called us into a journey that is more adventurous than we could even fathom or even understand or even wrap our minds around. I can't tell you the things God spoke to my heart. And I'm even embarrassed to tell you because they're so big and so great. I'm thinking, oh, that can't be true. Because why? Because I begin to look at myself again and think, oh, I'm so inadequate. Oh, there's no way that this, oh, well, that could never happen because look, my skill set. And, and see, this is the nakedness that Satan wants us to continue to look at. Where we take our eyes off of God and keep looking at ourselves. And we limit God and what he wants to do in our lives. But God is calling us in. He's saying, get over it. Get over yourself. And just trust me. Trust me and let me love on you. And let me change you. And let me work on you. And begin to lay down those arms of rebellion that you've had against God. And just lay them at His feet. And say, God, I trust you, man. I tr Nothing feels better than surrender. 
You ever been fighting a battle in your own strength and you think, man, I'm not going to make it. And then God's just like, why don't you give it to me? And you're like, oh, okay. And then you give it to him and you're like, oh, why didn't I do that five years ago? Why didn't I do that 25 years ago? God's calling us to surrender. Would you stand to your feet? If you're here and you say, man, I want to have my eyes open. I need my eyes opened again.